welcome. This is the first episode of uh, what we're calling the Emergency Goalies, a Blackhawks podcast. We'll see. I mean, maybe if people give us suggestions, we might change it, but I kind of like it. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Sean Holland, and with me is my other host, other co-host, uh, Michael Ernst. Hello. And, yep. Here's Michael. Uh, and what we're going to try to do with this podcast is it's a weekly where we just talk all things Blackhawks because uh, we're both writers at Cubs Den, but we are very interested in the Blackhawks, talk about it a lot. So we thought, well, we need somewhere to get our Blackhawks ideas out. And if any of you people actually listen to this, then you'll get to hear our Blackhawks takes every week. I guess I'll just start out with, uh, I'll kick it to you, Michael, and you can say, uh, I thought we'd say how we became Blackhawks fans and hockey fans in general. So I'll start with you, Michael. Okay. Well, um, I guess you could say that in a way I am a bandwagon fan. Um, although probably not, uh, from the era that uh, most people would typically associate that with. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago during the eighties, um, and was never really exposed to hockey very much. And, you know, I, I, I knew a little bit about the sport and knew a little bit about some of the players that were there, but it was really difficult to watch Blackhawks games at the time. Um, obviously we all know about, uh, Wurtz's aversion to broadcasting home games and even the road games were on really poor quality, uh, you know, standard definition, grainy eighties television. And so I just, I never, I never really got into it very much, uh, beyond, you know, a cursory viewing here and there. Uh, and then, uh, in the early nineties, uh, the team started getting good. Um, I started paying a little bit more attention and then, uh, kind of that 91, 92 season, you know, the team was playing really well. And then in 92, you know, you had things like it was the Olympic year and you had, you know, Ray LeBlanc being, a, you know, a thing during the Olympics and then making an appearance with the Blackhawks. And I just started catching a little bit more and more. And I ended up having a friend um, that his family uh, was a big, huge Blackhawks. They were huge Blackhawks fans. And they started having viewing parties during the playoffs um, and inviting a bunch of people over to, you know, to, you know, to have parties for on the way to the Hawks, uh, uh, appearance in the Stanley cup finals that year. And I just, I, I fell in love with it at that point. I, um, from that point on, I, you know, I watched every game that I could, you know, the few that were broadcast, especially after I moved to South Dakota not too long after that, uh, I was, you know, more reliant on national broadcasts. And then, um, by that point, ESPN and Fox were broadcasting games. So, um, you know, there was a little bit more as far as national broadcasts and then all the playoff games were, uh, on TV as well. So, um, I got to, in a way it, it, it did help me, um, not having access to the Blackhawks so much as I would just watch any hockey game that I could, you know, whatever random teams were on. So I really got to know the league and um, probably better at that point than I ever have. Um, you know, now that we have access to everything, 
Um, it's a little overwhelming and, you know, I, if I'm going to watch, you know, 80 or a hundred hockey games a year, most of them are going to be Blackhawks. And I, I feel like I don't maybe know quite as much of the league as I used to. Um, despite the fact that I probably watch more hockey than, you know, I ever have, but anyway, so being a, a, a bandwagon fan, so to speak, uh, from the early nineties, I, uh, I've never looked down upon all of the, uh, new fans that, uh, came on board, uh, over the last 10 years or so, as the Hawks have started winning championships, that's, that's never been a thing I have been fond of is, Oh, you know, looking down on the new fans and that everybody starts somewhere. So more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, I guess I can go with a, my story, which is, uh, pretty similar. Um, I had an uncle that lived in Chicago for a while and before I was around, he took my parents to a game. So they kind of like hockey, but when I was like seven, um, it was the 92 year. And my dad put it on when they were in the finals and he's like, Oh, we're going for the Blackhawks. And I went, Oh, okay. And I started watching the games and I really liked it. So then I started watching and we had access because we had a satellite where we could get the Chicago sports channels. So like you said, of course, the, the games that were available, the non blacked out home games, I would watch them. And then, yeah, about that 94, 95, I really got into it. So I guess we're both kind of front runners at the same time. Yep. But yeah, no, I was, uh, you know, all those teams, you know, Ronick and, and uh, Chelios and Tony Amonti and all. Yeah. Those are. And, you know, then to be honest, you know, one of the things that really solidified it for me, which was, you know, I guess a little lame, but at the same time, I think, I think for a lot of people at that age, um, was the EA Sports 93 and 94, those, um, their video games, were, those are some of the best sports video games ever created. They were so much fun to play. Yes, indeed. And, I mean, even non-hockey fans loved playing those games. Anytime I'd break them out, and you know, so it just, you know, it was, it, it was an exciting time to be a hockey fan. You know, that was when, you know, a couple of years after Gretzky had been traded to the Kings and you started having the expansion into the U.S. southern parts of the country and, you know, expansion teams popping, popping up every couple of years. And, um, you know, and then, like I said, you started getting uh, some of the national broadcasts with NHL or I mean with ESPN and Fox and, um, you know, you'd have NHL tonight every night, you know, it's kind of something probably pretty foreign to a lot of people nowadays, but, uh, back then you were reliant on ESPN a lot to know what was going on That's right. because there really wasn't any internet access at the time. Yeah, ESPN. At least not anywhere you could actually watch video. Yep. ESPN too. Hockey, yep. you know, hockey yep. every hockey. night. Yep. Get that update. You know, we got to now, of course there's NHL network and like every, Sport is yeah, but back then it was NHL Tonight. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that was uh, yeah. It sounds like we both had kind of the same. Uh, I'm a little older than you, just a few years, but yeah, uh, yeah, you know, same same timing as far as everything uh, getting involved with that. So yeah, that's cool. Yep, and obviously most of the people listening, they don't need to go through the whole. You know, there was the dark times, and then yeah, the yeah we know. <laughs> we know. So anyway, let's get to what we're came here, which is to talk about the current Blackhawks. That's right. And, um, I will do a hat tip to um, 
my uh, buddies, uh, Brendan and Corey at Cubs, uh, Cubs related podcast. Cause I kind of lifted the formula from them that we we're going to do for this. We we're going to do it in the hockey way, but we're going to start out with them. Michael will do a recap of the previous games of the week. Uh, then we're going to, in the middle, we'll talk about various topics, maybe a little bit on special teams. And then at the end, I will give a preview for the upcoming Blackhawks game through the week. So um, I guess I will kick it to you, Michael, for the first uh, recap. Yeah, first week of action. It's, and there was certainly a lot of action this week for the Blackhawks. Um, uh, they, of course, kicked off the season in Ottawa. Um, that was last Thursday. And it was an exciting game. Uh, that that first period of the first game, it was kind of a lot like last year where it was just back and forth. Uh, whereas last year, the Blackhawks kind of dominated a little bit in the first game. This was more sloppy, both both teams end-to-end sort of action. Um, probably could have been 4-4 four to four or 5-5 five to five or something after the first period, but I think it was three to two Hawks or two to one, something like that. After the first period teams tightened up a little bit in the second. And then again, uh, kind of opened it up a little bit more in the third ended up going to overtime. Uh, Hawks, uh, Patrick Kane, just a beautiful, beautiful, uh, backhander roofed it, uh, won it for the Hawks. And then, yeah, you know, it was, you know, it's a bad Ottawa team. They got only a handful of, you know, even halfway decent players. Um, so it was a game that the Hawks really wanted to, to win, get off on a, you know, on the right foot. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of the veterans still think they have a chance of competing, even though some of the, you know, most of the fans are a little more pessimistic in that regard, but you know, it was two points that they should have gotten and they did it. Um, and then, uh, two nights later they traveled to St. Louis and, you know, that's a much more, uh, challenging team, but again, on the road, again, it was a sloppy, a lot of back and forth, um, a lot of turnovers, the blues were coming off of a brutal loss against Winnipeg and I'm sure they wanted to have a good showing for their home fans. But once again, uh, Blackhawks ended up sending it to overtime. And once again, they came out on top. Uh, and now I'm drawing a blank, but I'm pretty sure it was Taves, right? That, that scored the game winner in overtime. Yeah. The complete the hat trick. I believe that's right. The complete the hat trick. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, And that's, of course, been a big theme over the first three games is kind of the resurgence of Jonathan Taves. He looks much quicker than he has the last couple of years. Um, Just much more assertive, confident with the puck and getting getting two open spaces and just skating so much smoother, it appears. And yeah, he was a huge part of that game. As you said, notch the hat trick. And, you know, a big division win for the team on the road, Um, you know, getting them four points out of four on their first two games. 
And then, of course, they came back on Sunday for the home opener, again, against another tough team, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, you know, they're kind of the, the winner of the offseason, so to speak. Uh, they picked up John, John Tavares and are just loaded up front. Uh, still a little bit of questions on the defensive side, but uh, as far as offensive firepower, I'm not sure that there's really any other team in the league that can match them. And, <laughs> you know, the Blackhawks have, you know, quite a few uh, offensive uh, catalysts as well. And this game was really exciting well worth the price of admission for anybody who showed up. And quite surprisingly, I do remember there were still tickets available the day of the game, which is very foreign for the Blackhawks over the last 10 years that a big game like that, especially against a big team like Toronto, um, you know, you wouldn't have a sellout. I think they ended up selling out, but um, you know, these, the, the tickets quite, aren't quite, quite the hot ticket they were a few years ago, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, wow. That game was awesome. Um, certainly not a, a game that the coaches are going to appreciate because once again, sloppy, several turnovers, way too many odd man rushes and open, open looks for guys. But as a fan experience, it was great. Um, once again, for the third straight game, the went into overtime, but uh, even that was really exciting. The Hawks had had an early lead. Leafs would come back. I think the Hawks ended up. Eh, I think the Hawks just ended up tying it in the third. But then the Leafs took the lead. Uh, and then with 90 seconds left, the Hawks were down by one. Uh, Patrick Kane scored a goal to tie it up, and uh, there was only like a little over a minute left. And everybody thought at that point the game was probably going to go to overtime, but. I think it was only like 20 seconds later, uh, the Leafs scored to retake the lead. And then everybody thought, ah, probably, you know, that was going to be it. Situation was pretty dire, but boy, I think it was 20 seconds left. Patrick Kane comes up big again, notches his second goal in the final 90 seconds of the game to tie it up, send it to OT. Unfortunately, the Leafs did score about 19 seconds into overtime. Um, but yeah, that was a extremely exciting game. And oh, I guess I did fail to mention too. It, it, it of course was kicked off with a really great tribute to Stan Makita, who the Hawks organization obviously lost uh, over the summer. Um, They're all wearing the the 21 number emblazoned, um, you know, both on the, uh, uniform. And then also they, the Hawks have put it on the ice this year at both ends of the ice. So, um, yeah, they, they, they had a really nice moving tribute for, for Stan Makita. So that was, that was a great start to the night. Unfortunately, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't finish off the, the win, but still did get a point out of it. So yeah, Three games in, out of six possible points, the Hawks have five, five. And, you know, when you're playing without Corey Crawford and you're facing two teams that are expected to be contenders this year in St. Louis and Toronto, one of them on the road, uh, you know, heck of a start for the team. And 
you know, a couple of positive uh, developments as far as Jonathan Taves looking quicker this year and being much more successful um, on the score sheet than he has. A couple other of the the veterans look look better than they did last year as well. Uh, on the negative side of things, uh, like I said, there was a lot of turnovers, um, a lot of open looks that just have to be that has to be driving Quenville insane. Uh, the defense is still very much a work in progress. I know they changed the system up a little bit this year, and I'm still getting a little bit. Um, I'm still kind of observing and trying to figure out exactly what they're doing. Um, I know one thing that they had mentioned in the off season was that they were going to allow both defensemen to um, play in the corners a little bit more at the same time or behind the net um, instead of always leaving one guy uh, in front of the net. Well, that makes just to try and, yeah. Just to try and be a little bit more aggressive. Um, but I noticed uh, several times over those first three games, um, but especially in the St. Louis and the Toronto game where um, a defenseman would vacate the front of the net and it seemed to mostly be Brandon Manning, um, which I guess couldn't, shouldn't be much of a surprise since he was known for um, kind of boneheaded plays in Philadelphia. But there were several instances where defensemen would vacate the front of the net and were going to cover somebody, but left a wide open player in front of the net. That yeah, it felt like that happened a few times, especially against the Blues. Yeah, Manning. Yeah, Manning. There was a couple of really egregious times where he was standing right next to a Blues player, left them to go. There was one time where I'm not even sure who he was going to cover. He just kind of started skating to the corner and, you know, the guy with the puck just fired it right in front, made a nice pass and everything. It wasn't, but you know, there, so I'm not sure. I, I think at this point, you know, with a little bit of change and it makes more sense with Manning since he is a newer player that there might be still some communications issues um, where, you know, he's expecting the center uh, or one of the forwards to be picking somebody up that they're not maybe a little confusion on who's supposed to be covering for who, but yeah. And uh, of so. course, early in the season too, there's always going to be, it's yeah. always a little more wide open in October for every yeah. team. I mean, you see a lot of these more wide open games because the that systems haven't been locked in yet. That is true. Uh, but on the positive side of the defense, uh, boy, Henry Yoki, Haru looks Great uh, yeah. for a 19 year old defenseman playing in his first three pro games. Uh, he is being paired with Duncan Keith and he does not look out of place. Um, no, like he had, I think, I don't know if you recall that. I think it was, it was sometime in the blues game, but Tarasenko came rushing in on the left side up the line and he just stripped the puck from him. And I was like, I was in a state of shock because Tarasenko, of course, just owns the Blackhawks, and he was just calm, cool, took the puck right off his stick. I'd never seen that. Yeah, yeah. He uh, Duncan Keith is going to be a very good uh, role model for him because he's uh, he's maybe not quite as fast as Duncan Keith was in his prime, 
but he's a very smooth skater the same way Keith is. He's not an overly, he's, he's not, I wouldn't call him small, but he's not, he's not big. Um, so he's, you know, if he's going to be developed into a first pairing defenseman, which the Blackhawks hope he will, he's going to need to be surgical with that stick the same way that Keith is, you know, be willing to step up against those guys on the rush and take away space. And yeah, uh, so far, uh, he's doing those things. You know, I noticed a couple of instances, uh, you know, he's still, he's still got to get a little stronger. He's, he, he gets beaten on board battles a couple of times here and there, but in comparison to, you know, some of the other guys that they got playing right now, um, he actually looks to be one of their stronger players in the defensive zone. Um, yes. You know, very encouraging. Yeah, yeah. And on the offensive end, too, he's got, he doesn't have like a, I have, we haven't seen him really unleash the shot, but he's very good at getting the puck to the net. Yeah. And I think and it, it led to a goal or two against the Maple Leafs, it appeared. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got five assists already in the first three games, which is amazing for a rookie, uh, you know, especially a 19 year old. But uh, yeah, and that's kind of his MO um, from the times that I've seen him in some of the scouting reports that I've read. Um, I haven't seen him a ton uh, leading up to this, but um, yeah, he uh, he's definitely a guy. He's not going to overwhelm anybody with the shot, but he's got a very good knack for getting it through traffic. He's more of a, he's more on the accuracy side than the power side. So, which is far more important. Yeah. You know, it's great having a guy that can, you know, blast the puck, but um you know, especially in this day and age where, you know, there's two or three guys in between the defenseman trying to block the shot before it even gets to the goalie. Um, I think accuracy is far more important. And it's something that the Hawks have had a lot of trouble with over the last few years. So I'm hopeful he can bring that element. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful as the season progresses, they start giving him a little bit more responsibility on the power play. I, I'm sure Quenville probably doesn't want to overwhelm him too much, uh, you know, this, this early in the season, I'm sure they'll still rely a lot on Keith and Seabrook in those situations, but I'm hopeful by the end of the year, we can kind of dispense with, uh, Keith and Seabrook, uh, eating up a lot of time on the power play. I, I think that's one area where, you know, as those two get up in age, you can kind of ease back their responsibilities a little bit, limit their ice time in that regard, keep them off the power play. And hopefully Gustafson and Yoki Haru can, um, you know, take over those. Cause not only, cause I think they're just at this point, they're better offensive players, but again, you know, it'll, it'll, kind of decrease the burden on those vets a little bit, but yeah, well, yeah. you know, now that you brought that up, I guess it's a good time to go to our, our, um, we're going to talk about special teams a little bit in the middle of the episode. And yeah, I mean the power play, whoa, it is, yes. I don't think it's converted yet in three, no, games, no. over nine or over eight. It's it, not, it looks ugly. It was garbage last year. We all know it was. Um, and, their setups are slightly different this year once they get in the zone. But um, one of their main problems last year was 
getting into the zone. Their entries are still terrible. And it's just, it's leading to so much. It's not, it's a momentum killer for them more often than it is a momentum gatherer. And it's a real problem. Yeah. And can we just say right now, I would be a very happy man if we never saw the push them back entry ever again, because it never works. Yeah, I have multiple issues with the way that the Blackhawks try to enter the zone. Um, it, I'm all for doing everything you can to carry the puck into the zone. It is by far the best way to do it. It leads it analytically. It has been proven. It increases your chances of scoring by ridiculous amounts. So I understand wanting to carry the puck in as often as possible, but every team that's playing the Blackhawks is basically standing four guys up across the blue line. And then the Blackhawks crowd up the blue line as well with a couple of their own guys. And whoever's taking the puck in has very, very little space to actually gain that blue line. And at worst they're getting stripped and the puck's going the other way. But a lot of times what happens is they run out of space and at the last second, they're forced to dump it in and yeah, dump and chase, not great on a power play, but it can still work. Unfortunately, with the way that the Blackhawks are doing it by the time that they, it, you know, it's last resort, we dump it in. But the problem is not only is that puck carrier not carrying any momentum into the offensive zone when he dumps it because he's getting squeezed by the time he actually gives up the puck. There's two, three, sometimes even four of his teammates that are standing completely still waiting at the blue line. And if you're dumping the puck in when everybody else is standing there, you're never going to get it back. The one guy on the defense that's hanging back waiting for that dump in. Yeah. And just shoot it right back down. Fires down the ice. Yeah. You got to yeah. have somebody still moving forward when you're dumping that puck in to go retrieve it. Yeah, exactly. And once you get set, once they do get set up in the zone, of course, the problem it's been, it's been for a while is it's a very passive power play. They stay around the edge of a lot of, you know, they're looking for the perfect pass and you just wish they would be more aggressive sometimes and just yeah. go for the net. I, I, I did. I did notice some positives in that regard during the preseason. Um, they are going to a one-three-one setup as opposed to the one-two-two that we've seen, where we always had two defensemen back, or whether or not it was a forward playing defense or not. Um, but now they're going to the one-three-one, and I think that will open up things a little bit more. Um, they are, you know, we've seen it with the first power play unit where they're still trying to run things through Kane over on the half boards, and then they're giving him four right-handed shooters. Uh, with him on that. And yeah, so they are still going to be looking for the perfect pass on that unit, but I think um, they're going to be, I I think having Schmaltz in the high slot, like they're trying to, I think they'll hit him and try and open things up that way. But that means that Schmaltz has to shoot the puck. And that's been a real problem for him throughout his career pulling the trigger on shots when he should, instead of always looking to pass. 
Um, and so that is a little bit of concern to me. Um, but he's very capable of shooting. He has a very good shot. So I'm hoping this will kind of force the issue with him. Um, yeah. The other uh, thing you could, yeah. The other thing you could think of though, I've always thought maybe you should put Smaltz on the second power play and make him the cane of the second unit. Uh, he yeah. To I, up so much. Last year, I, I thought it was even more important because pretty much last year, the only two guys that were consistently able to carry the puck into the offensive zone were Kane and Schmaltz. Uh, Saad is actually pretty good at carrying it in as well, but he's pretty much useless on a power play once you get in the zone. So I don't really want him out there. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, I think it is imperative to have guys that can carry the puck in on each line. Um, Gustafson being around this year, I think will help in that regard. He's very effective at carrying the puck into the zone. So I'm hoping he can kind of be that guy on the second line, but it would be nice to have a forward that could do it as well. Um, but yeah, um, I wouldn't mind seeing Schmaltz bump down to, to the second one and maybe replace him on that first power play line. Yeah, I haven't really decided yet. We haven't actually seen that many power plays from them uh, this year yet. Um, they were yeah, they had they had that St. Louis game where they had like uh, was it three or four power plays that were all cut like to third to cut in half by power. Yeah, they were all one minute power plays, and then they had the four minute one uh, that was just they got no shots on. I, I can't remember that was the Toronto game or the St. Louis game. Uh, it was the Toronto game. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, that was just a killer oh that was awful but ironically you know at the end of the toronto game with the goalie pulled that was sort of like a power play and that was beautifully executed those two yeah so, and they've all and traditionally they've always been very good with that extra man um on that when they're going with six six skaters they've always been very good with that you know with this core but oh, man i i I think part of it is, you know, the mentality of the defenders in those situations, you know, is a little different. And obviously, you know, on a penalty kill, you have the, you know, the ability to ice the puck, whereas you don't necessarily want to do that all the time at the end of a game. Um, so I think, you know, there it's not a, a, a complete equivalency, but it is certainly frustrating to watch where, the Hawks can carry play five on five. They can carry play when they're playing with an extra guy with the goalie pulled. But when you get an extra, you know, when there should be more space with the other team having less people out there, they can't figure it out. And yeah, just frustrating. Yeah. And that was the thing I noticed with that, the extra um, man pulled that I liked. And I think I wish they would do it more often is they had a off in front of the net. And I like Anisimov in front of the net like that. That's, I think, his strongest suit. But Yeah. Um, you know, he, he scored a lot of goals on the power play last year. I, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't mind him on the second power play unit kind of fulfilling that role. Um, but, yeah, I, I have some frustrations mostly because – the core guys that, you know, have, you know, that, that core group 
Keith has never been that great on the power play. Seabrook has a big shot, but beyond his shot, has very little use on a power play. He's not a great passer in the offensive zone. Keith has in the past been fairly decent at finding open guys, but his shot is such a problem. You know, I mean, every fan knows he's terrible at getting shots through. And even when he doesn't hit the guy that's standing right in front of him, he generally hits the glass five feet above the net. Um, so, you know, any advantages you get from his passing are negated by his shooting. Uh, Brandon Saad has always been an effective five on five player, but he's just never really found a role on the power play. I know he found a little bit of success in Columbus. I never watched them enough to try and figure out what they were doing differently with him that allowed him to actually score goals on the power play. But anytime he's been in a Blackhawks uniform, you know, just even taking away last year, which was obviously a disaster on many fronts for him. But even when he was playing good, you know, with the team a few years ago, he, he never had a role on the power play. Anytime they tried to put him out there, it was always seemed like a square peg in a round hole. And I haven't seen anything from him that he's not a net front player. He's not a guy you can play on the point. He's not a guy that you want in the cane role of having the, the, the play flow through him. I, 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 he's not a, just a traditional shooter where you want to line him up for a one time or somewhere. I, I honestly don't know what you do with him. And so, you, you know, a lot of their higher paid guys, I, I kind of wish they weren't out there on the, on the power play. Yeah. But, it's, you know, they're the high paid guys. They're the team leaders. They all want to be out there. And I think the coaches kind of feel pressured into keeping them out there, but I think yeah. it's detrimental. And I think we will see Yoki Haru play a bigger role in the power play as the year goes on. Yeah, I'm really hoping by the end of the year he replaces Seabrook. You know, like I said, I get not putting him out there in the first few games, let him get his feet, you know, get get used to the NHL a little bit. Having Seabrook out there isn't going to kill him for a little while. But yeah, on the two power play units, I'd love to see Yoki Haru take over on the power play one. And Gustafson should be the only defenseman out there on power play too. Uh, Gustafson really needs to take a step up in that regard this year. He is an offensive defenseman. And if he is not playing on the power play, there is no reason to have him on the roster. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. So um, I guess we'll, the power play is really what I was worked up about too, but I guess we'll do a real cursory look at the penalty kill. It's been okay, but of course, when you have your defensemen that the Blackhawks have, especially the bottom three, it's going to be iffy because it's just iffy. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, Gustafson's not going to help you on a PK. Um, they're relying a lot on Keith and Yoki Haru, Seabrook. Uh, Ruda's getting penalty kill time, which uh, I'm just. I, I had hopes for for Ruda when he first came in last year. I thought he got off to a pretty good start. Uh, had a decent middle of the year even. But he just he hasn't really developed at all. And I guess I shouldn't be shocked since he was like a 26-year-old when he came over. He was probably about as fully developed as he was going to get. Yeah, and it's not like they have other options. Like, I don't know yeah. if you want to see Forsling or... 
or a right. Yeah, I mean, once Murphy comes back, I you know, I, I really think Murphy will replace Ruda in all forms. I, I I think once Murphy's back in a couple of months, they will. Uh, uh, I think Ruda will actually be traded. Yeah. Um, of course, it's not like not like Connor Murphy's very good either. So, but he's better than Ruda. Yeah, he's well. He's certainly better than Ruda. I give him a little bit of a pass last year. Um, he's not a good fit with Keith. When they've used Murphy in certain roles, I think he's effective. Penalty kill is one of the things he should be pretty good at. Um, but yeah, I, you know, unfortunately. Murphy and Seabrook are kind of the same guy at this point. Um, and they really should have the same role. But unfortunately, in the Blackhawks situation, one of those two guys has to take on a bigger role because they both can't play third pairing right, you know, right side on the third pairing. One yeah. of those guys has to be the second pairing guy. Um, and at this point, I'd prefer to see Murphy do it. You know, and he was a guy last year who I think he did struggle adjusting to Quenville's system. This year they're changing the system a little bit. I don't know if it's going to better suit Murphy or not. Um, I guess we'll have to wait quite a while to see. Hopefully his back injury is not something that lingers throughout the year. Um, But I guess as back injuries tend to go, that could be a problem throughout the year. But yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that defense plays out. I'm not a big fan of Manning so far. Yeah, it's it's been kind of rough. Yeah, I mean, he he does make a couple of good plays every game, but boy, there are some really disastrous plays that he makes too. Gustafson is kind of the same way, but Gustafson at least has well above average offensive capabilities. When he jumps into the play, good things tend to happen. So there's at least the opportunity for him to have his positive plays at least equal out or overcome some of his negative plays. There's, you know, still a couple of plays every game where he has issues in the defensive zone that Quenville, you know, just, has to just drive him insane, but I'm hopeful by this point, Gustafson, they have to see that he's at least willing, or he's at least worth taking a chance on giving him a role, seeing what happens. Um, whereas I just, I don't understand what they see as the big upside with Manning. Yeah, neither do I, but I guess yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, yeah. it's still early. Like I said, a couple of his, gaffes i'm hoping we're just miscommunications um so maybe if you can eliminate those it'll work out but i I don't know it sounds like from from flyers fans that i've uh talked to and read some of the message boards and stuff it sure sounds like that's the same (laughs) that uh, they're used to seeing so i'm not real hopeful well we'll find out well i guess i will now do the little preview um, there's only two games coming up before uh, our next podcast. So on uh, Thursday, 
the Blackhawks go on the road again. So three of their first four games are on the road. Uh, they go to Minnesota to play the Wild at 7 p.m. Central Time. And the Wild, pretty good last year. Um, so far this year, they're uh, 0-1-1. They uh, have a loss to the Avalanche and lost in a shootout to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, but obviously, you know, you got Suter still trucking over there. He's been been Minnesota for a long time now. Um, you got Parisi and, you know, some other guys. Zucker always seems to uh, kill the Blackhawks. But, um, and then on Saturday, the Blues return the favor from last Saturday and come to the United Center at 7.30 Central Time. Obviously, we just saw the Blues play the Blackhawks, so kind of what they've got. Tarasenko, of course, kills the Blackhawks. And um, other than that, they uh, played one other game. They got, as you mentioned, got killed by Winnipeg, but it was a close game until the end, but they really got it piled on. So those are the two games before our uh, next podcast. And I would say the Blackhawks would be underdogs in both of them, but you know, you never know. Yeah, I mean, the way that they're playing right now with the way that the offense is clicking, um, you know, they're really not out of any game. Um, now, I, I don't expect the shooting percentage to stay quite as good as it's been. They can't afford to keep making the same mistakes that they're making throughout these games. They do have to tighten it up a little bit at some point, but like you said, this is kind of the time of year where every team is adjusting, you know, to new players, new, new strategies. And there are goals available out there. If you take the opportunities when they come to you and right now with the way Kane's playing, the way Taves is playing, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, some of their, their big stars are for the most part, producing like big stars right now. So as long as that continues, I, you know, I I would say that, you know, they're, they're not going to be favored in those games, but it's not going to be a shock if they win. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. And of course, Corey Crawford continuing to make good progress. They're talking like October 18th, he might be able to come back. So if they can get him back, that would presumably help their defense. Oh yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Assuming he is the crow of old, I, I mean that is obviously the one. That's the carrot that's getting dangled out there for for every fan of this team. That's our one hope. Um, where this team, you know, even with Crow playing at his highest level, I'm not sure that this is a championship contender team, but they can be a playoff contender and Hey, once you get in the playoffs, you never know, but yeah. Um, getting Corey Crawford back and healthy is going to be huge because I think we've all seen through the first three games, regardless of how bad the defense has played, Cam Ward isn't taking us anywhere. No, he's not. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's a good place to leave our first episode. Um, uh, I guess we can give our Twitter handles real quick. Um, at STH85. And at MJ underscore Ernst, E-R-N-S-T. Yep. And uh, in the weeks to come, we will set up like, you know, uh, email or whatever. But if you have any 
questions you'd like us to get on the podcast, you can uh, tweet at us. And um, yeah, I hope you people enjoyed listening to it. Uh, yep. We're going to keep well, working I'm, I'm on it. it. Yes, we did. Um, yep. So uh, thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs>